welcome to Offwatch, a podcast by the Ocean Race. Santiago Langer from Argentina is a six-time Olympian who in Rio 2016 won gold just nine months after getting surgery for lung cancer. He's also been a feature of the America's Cup and, of course, the Ocean Race, and he has an incredible story to tell. Enjoy. Santiago Langer is a legend of not only Olympic sailing, but also the America's Cup and the Ocean Race. He's represented Argentina six times at the Olympic Games, campaigned in three America's Cups and sailed in two ocean races. Now, he's most famous for his performance in the NACRA 17 class at Rio 2016, clinching the gold medal. And that's impressive enough. But if you factor in a few other details... Nine months before Rio, he had to undergo emergency surgery to remove 75% of his left lung due to cancer and competing at the Games at 54 years of age. This is a very unique tale. Um, Santi, thank you very much. I'm sure your time is precious. I know that you are training and you are competing, but I'll just start with something I read from you, a a quote where you said, um, when you're presented with a challenge you get passionate. You know, the greater the challenge, the, the, the more you're motivated. Did sailing always motivate you? From a young age, were you as passionate about it as you are now? Yes, yes, certainly, yes. I, I've been lucky enough to have a great talent sailors of my generation. His name is Martin Bilok. He was, when he participated in his first Optimist World Championship, that was the first ever Argentina presented a boat our team at the World Championship, he won. So he was very talented. So when I was young, I was getting beaten by him in every single weekend. <laughs> and, and well, I learned that I had to work hard. You know, I, I, I had to really work hard. And I only, I never could beat him in the Optimist. I, he was one year and a half older than me or two. So I managed to beat him when he retired, but you know, win the national championship. And it, it always been very hard to coming from Argentina to be able to fight against the big nations. And, and it, it, we, we've been doing crazy things along our story to try to get there. So that the quote is coming from that point of view. Because you, you know, I, I don't want to keep reminding everybody of how old you are, but in terms of professional sport, it's quite an achievement to have had this many years and you're still competing at the top of the game. So I want to go back to, to sort of where you started. And, and obviously, I think, I think it was 1961 you were born. Have I got that right? Yes. Um, and then, of course, like you say, the optimist. And you also, it seems like you decide not only are you going to race in sailing, but you're going to make your, your money in sailing. You go and get a naval architecture degree as well. I mean, it's, it's not only enough to race boats, you want to build them as well. Well, the reality that it, it, it came from our story that uh, when I was young coming from Argentina, it was impossible to go to the Olympic Games, to think, to dream about it. Don't, don't call it in that times the Volvo Ocean Race or the America's Cup. For us, it was something that was too far away. So when I finished my school, I could never think of anything professionally or close to professional in sailing. So uh, I decided I had a career. Then after that, I had a boatyard. We were very successful, big optimists and, and, and Europe dinghy back then and, and snipes. And we represent Harken for South America. So we had a good company. And, and only when I was 33 years old that I tried to sail for Spain for the Olympics in 96 because it was impossible to have the founds in Argentina. So I did a lot of crazy stuff and, and was very slowly fighting to try to get the tools and the organizations to, to, to be able to, to fight for a medal or to enter an Olympic Games. So it took a long time. So my, my sailing, my life is the other way around. I had a company, <laughs> I work out of sailing, I did all normal stuff and was only when I was 40, I guess, so for the Olympics in Sydney that I sold the company, I divorced, and, and I start. I decided to leave out of professionally sailing. But I want to take it back a couple of years, though, because th- th- this is where it's so, it's so good to actually talk to you, because 
the stories that surround you are so big and they're almost unbelievable. And I was watching an interview with um, a friend of yours, I think from university, when you were in Southampton, uh, Eduardo, Eduardo Galafrey. I, I wonder whether yeah, that's pronouncing that correct. I, am, I live here in Barcelona because of him. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, because in the interview, he was talking about you taking your snipe uh, dinghy, two-person dinghy, it's not small, on a trailer, on a trolley, walking it to the ferry and taking it over to France without a car and then and then walking it down the road. Is that true? I mean, is this what we're it, talking It was about? not a snipe, it was a Europe dinghy. Because when I arrived to study in Southampton, for us to be in Europe was, wow, we are here now. <laughs> yeah. So our fathers pay for studying, but but our love was in competition. And, 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 and we said, okay, now we have the opportunity. So we started sailing for 71st. So the first year I spent all the money my father gave me for studying. In, we went to years and we went to the south of France. We, we bought an old car and we went there with the 470. We slept the whole regattas in the car. We arrived with not a single penny. And then, then I started sailing the Europe because we didn't go down well with Martin, actually, you know. And uh, yes, it's true. I, I went from the Western uh, uh, Sailing Club. Uh, yeah, the, no, I know Western. The yeah. Southampton Harbor with my dolly. I prepared the boat at night in the inside of the ferry, and then I went to sail the national championship in France, in Le Havre. I arrived to the dock there. I walked all the harbor to the sailing club that was three or four kilometers away, and I, went, I did that back and forwards. I also did, which this was more crazy, I went to sail the world championship in Italy, and I took my mass, my boom, centerboard rudder, the sail, and all my gear, from Southampton by train all the way to the, to Italy. <laughs> and I remember very well, I, 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 it's cool because I recorded all these in cassettes that I sent to my family. And I was at five o'clock in Victoria Station with the mask that I put in the train through the window and have to grab it to go to, I, I can't remember the station that takes you to, to the other side to France. Uh, it's Waterloo or something. I can't remember the name of it. And then I, I went with a train to Paris and then I had to change trains on the stations in Paris with the mass, the boom and all my gear was crazy. But, I, but that, that, that was how for us to be in Europe was crazy. Nice. I, I, so clearly in that time and we're talking 1980 to 84, clearly your sailing is getting better and you're giving your sailing a lot of attention. I'm guessing you didn't have too much time left to study. No, I need to pass my exams because it's not my mother. My father was German and and uh, she came. He came from the navy, and so it was very tough for him. It was hard to pay me the study. So obviously, we did all the sailing and we spent a lot of money, and then we end up living in in houses that were going to be knocked down because I didn't have money. I spent it in sailing. But we needed to pass exams, so lucky enough, uh, we studied just the two months before the, stand, the exams. We could only study day and night, and we passed exams, and, and it was all good in that respect. <laughs> and then you, you graduate at the age of 25. I think you claim your first world championship title in the snipe? Yeah, well, but then, yes, we, I graduated I, earlier, I graduated like 21, and then I went to work with German Friars. That was a privilege. So I worked right after Southampton. I worked like four years for Herman in the office in Argentina, and that was, was, was a big learning curve in terms of design, in terms of being successful from Argentina. And yes, while I was working for Herman, the... The snipe works that there in South America and in America was an important class. You know, we sailed mm -hmm. against Torben Greil and Mark Reynolds and Ed Adams. There were a lot of very good sailors coming from Brazil or America and even Europe. And so the championship was in Argentina and, and we decided to do it and, and it was a good opportunity to do our championship. Because it's shortly after that, as you mentioned before, you're then in uh, 88 in the Seoul uh, Olympics. Uh, one of the things that, that changes throughout the Olympic years is obviously the boats change. Um, 
But one of the other things that changes is now the athletes that go to the Olympic Games in sailing as well as everything else, it's very professional. It's your whole life. You are training. Back then, how much support did you have or, or was everything just off your own back? It was zero. I had my boatyard when we went to Seoul. Uh, I, I had my boatyard. That we, we, we started the boatyard when I was 26 and the Mariani brothers that were my partners today, they own King Marine. So from that boatyard, it became King Marine, which built a lot of Volvo Ocean race boats. Yeah. And they are very successful. And those were my partners. And uh, I split from them when I decided to be a professional sailor. And, and was all, I, I work all day and then at night I will go sailing. I still train at night because of them. I, I love to sail at night, even in the dinghies. And, and, and yes, it was all like, as you said, was different. I think many countries were already professional, you know, you... Mm. Schumann or Kosteki, they were already have a good structure, not as much as now, but for sure they were training hard. But in our case, we, we were in that terms very amateurs. We actually, we, we sail our soaring, we borrowed from the GBR team from uh, Smith, Smith um, and, and, and the sails on my way to Korea, uh, Vince Broom from North Sail San Diego. Um, because he's Brazilian, but he lives in, he worked for North Sales One Design in San Diego for many, many years. He borrowed, he let us some old sales from John Kosteki. So I traveled through Los Angeles, go in a small plane, pick up the sales that John didn't use to go to old sales from him. Yeah. And then, and then end my trip in Korea one day before the first race or the preparatory sales and was our second international regatta, which I was, did that, Olympics gave me a lot of energy because we finished ninth. We even won a race. Mm. And, and, you know, for what we have done before, we said, wow, we have potential. That, that Olympic Games showed me that if I find the money and the structure, the coaching and all what you need to be strong, I could have a chance to a medal. And that, that Olympic Games gave me a lot of motivation in that respect. Did you, at that age, in the 88 Olympics, you were 27, Did were there many people that were older than you that were racing? Because it's not, you don't need to go maybe one more Olympics and then you're starting to feel, you know, there's a lot of young people coming up here. I'm wondering, did you see potentially six games after that? Uh, I didn't. I have no clue of what was going on. I, back then, I had a professional work in my company in the building boats, and I didn't look at the age. I arrived two or three days before the first race, and that was it. I think we did, a, in doing the campaign, we did one regatta in America, if I remember well, but that was all. So I didn't know the people. I, we were just there racing, and then afterwards I started realizing, well, I, I knew them a lot more and uh, and coincidentally I met a lot of those people but I didn't age was not actually age never in my career was an issue I didn't like now I see you know I start sailing so the next Olympics the laser came in in 96 mm. and I said okay this is an opportunity it's a cheap boat single-handed here I come and was a very stupid mistake because I started sailing this laser when I was 33 and, and I only weighed 73 kilos. I, was, I didn't have the body. I was too light and too old. I started sailing the laser when I was 33. It was stupid what I was thinking. But the opportunity to do a proper campaign, and, and, I, and then I went to the Worlds in La Rochelle, the first, uh, back then, the, the, well, the Sailing World, World Championship, and we fin I finished fifth, I think, or something like that. And I said, okay, I have a chance here. Yeah. It was very hard. It was very hard to come in the ladder and things like that. I even tried to sail for Spain, as I said before. But, uh, yeah. But you didn't do, I mean, you didn't do badly in the laser. You know, you get a, a, a ninth. And in between the two games, you've also claimed another two world championship titles in the snipe. So at this point, you know, you're sort of, okay, I'm twice Olympian, three-time world champion. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty good. When you um, when we get to the Sydney Games, 
And it's crazy at this point, I have to pause and I have to remind myself that we are now talking about your third Olympic Games and we're not even halfway through. So when we get, when we get to the Sydney Games, this is the tornado. Did, did that feel like, as a boat, catamaran, high performance, did it, it feel like a, a better fit for you? Yes, it, it took me. So I had a good friend that went to the Olympics for Argentina in Seoul. His name is Ferdinand Guevara. He loved catamaran. He was a full catamaran nerd. And he always said, what are you doing in the laser? You are crazy. And he knew that I had a technical background in sailing, that I love the technical part. Uh, because, of course, the tornado, it's, it's an open design. Exactly. You get to well, do Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. So if he was telling me every day, you will call me, we call it in Spanish, boludo in Argentina especially, you will call yourself that you are a boludo because you haven't sailed the tornado. You will realize too late. And it, he was right. And uh, I tried, and at the beginning, I didn't understand the racing because I did a lot of, I love tactics and, and I love to study sailing. And, and, and the Tornado, suddenly I was Mitch Booth or Darren Bandock or Agara. They knew how to sail catamaran so well. And I didn't know. And I thought it was luck at the beginning. The first year took me like, wow, these people are lucky. And then I realized that I had to change my life, life my mind and start reading the wind better that the tactics were not so important and was more about having a fast boat and reading the wind. And at the end, I got hooked to it because I think in the catamaran, every decision that you make is more black and white. In a keel boat, okay, you take the wrong gate, you can always tack and cover. If In the catamaran, you take the wrong gate and maybe that's the end because till you finish your tack and go the other way. And so I start loving this pressure of First, I started loving just the feeling of sailing a hyper, a fast boat. And then in the race, I started loving this of having a lot of pressure. Every decision was an important one. You could not recover from a, you know, you cannot change your decision so easily. And, and, and I love it. I got hooked into it and was very hard in Sydney because before Sydney, as I said before, I didn't tell this in, uh, I, my wife, after at, at uh, Atlanta, he said, "Okay, stop, no more Olympic sailing." So I quit. I quit sailing and I start working in in um, in a distribution of frozen food company for a year and a half. And the situation with my ex-wife didn't get any better, <laughs> and I decided to divorce, quit the job, and go to Sydney. So we only prepared for Sydney for one year. And I think that was a very good result. That was also a very good result uh, because we didn't have the money and was out of our pocket. And we only sailed the Tornado internationally for one year and, and was a cool, uh, a cool learning. And I sailed there with Cole Parada. I still sail with him in Azurra, a great friend, and, and, and was very, very nice story that one. And I mean, I, I can only imagine the jump from being in a laser where you have to hike so hard for two knots to then jump into a tornado where you're trapezing for 10. It's, no, it was it's so really, much more satisfying. It was, 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 uh, and then I got hooked into catamarans. I love it now and gave me this uh, love for the sport in the sensation of how the boats sleep through the water. And, and every time I go training, even now in the NACRA, I just enjoy it so much. I, I think this cool way to slide through, through the water. But then we get this, um, you know, the ocean race comes up or, you know, what was then uh, the Volvo, the first Volvo ocean race in the, in the Volvo 60 class. How did that come about? Was that something that you were looking for or did somebody look for you? Well, obviously, you know, as I said, we were passionate about sailing and we, were, we admired everything because for, for us it was too far away. And in 2004, uh, in 2000, I meet, I do a team with Carlos Espinola that he had two windsurfing medals. And okay, that's the start of, okay, now we have everything. You know, it's, it's not that Cole is an incredible sailor and he's a good friend. And we went through so many, we were in Sniper Championship twice with him and we did uh, so many things together. And, and, but 
Carlos had the power in Argentina to get the money. So we started a campaign in the Tornado really good with Carlos, with, with the potential to be good. For me, it was a lot of pressure because Carlos had two medals in the previous Olympic Games. Now he decides to change to Tornado. And some people in Argentina were not happy about him changing from the windsurfing. And they said, well, a windsurfer cannot jump into a boat. A windsurfer is not a sailor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was, and, and then were, we didn't have full support, but the people would say, if we don't win a medal, it was my fault because he comes from. And, and then we started and, and I was doing, to pay for the tornado, I always had to sail big boats. So I was doing all the circuit here in Spain. And, um, and SCB, uh, Ross McDonald was sailing for Guna Kranz, was supposed to be part of the SCB team for Guna Kranz. And somehow he quit and he said, Santi, do you want to try? And I, for me, it was like a dream come true. I couldn't believe it. We did a lot of offshore racing in Argentina. I, since I was 18, I was sailing big boats in Argentina. I did the Buenos Aires Rio race three times. So, so I knew about it. And oof, was an opportunity. I had to come. We were only starting with Carlos. I said, Carlos, I get this offer. What do I do? I said, Carlos was supportive. Yes, let's do it. So we went and it was crazy. Uh, I finished the Copa del Rey in Palma. Next day I took a flight. They finished fastness rate in Plymouth. And I jumped into a boat, which I didn't know anyone. And we were sailing all the way to Gothenburg. That was a, a sail test for me. So I didn't know anyone. And we went out of the soling with 35 knots of wind downwind. I said, okay, you steer. <laughs> I said, wow. And then, uh, yeah. The, uh, I immediately, we arrived at four o'clock in the morning in Gothenburg. I took a plane and I do the, the Tournée Europeans in, in a lake in Switzerland uh, with Carlos, uh, which Carlos measured the boat. So I arrived late. We finished fifth, what was pretty good. And, and when I was in Madrid taking the plane to Argentina, Gura called me and said, you are in. I said, well, Gunnar, I am taking my plane to home. I have to say bye to my sons and all that. Okay, we wait for you. So I went home, say bye to my sons, organize everything at home, and off I went to Southampton, and, and off I went. And obviously, I was not prepared. <laughs> and uh, and I remember, you know, they've been very nice to me. I had the people like Rodney Arden on board, uh, Dingo, uh, even Gunnar, and there was a lot of people really nice and yeah, I, I was okay. I was good steering, but I was not an all-run sailor, strong. You know, I was still light. I think to do the boat balls and race, you have to be a lot stronger. And, but it was, was a great opportunity to have the feel for it. And, uh, and I had a, it was a great experience. I couldn't continue because I had my agreement with Carlos. Gunnar and Rodney keep calling me in every stopover. Could you come back? And I... I had to say no because I had all the calendar with Carlos. Carlos was very professional into Olympic sailing and I couldn't. So was, unfortunately, I couldn't do more legs. Uh, only I could do the first leg. But you get a little bit of a taste and, you know, it sounds like, like you say, sailing is sailing. You think, OK, there's something, there's something to kind of come back there. I mean, it must have been, that must have been a bit of a tricky time trying to campaign in Argentina at around about that time. My, my um, knowledge of South American history is pretty poor, but around about the 2000s, you know, financially, Argentina wasn't in the best shape. Again, were you having to, you know, you described before sleeping in your car and, and putting things together yourself. Was it like that again, campaigning for the 2004 Olympics? Exactly the same. So Carlos, that was a windsurfing, starting to sail big boat with me. I remember we even drive boats from other tornado sailors around Europe to get our boats to the regattas. Right. And all again, but again, with a hard times um, in, in 2000, after we joined there with Agara and Steinacher from Austria, we trained together and developed the sails together. And was an extremely successful partnership and a really cool experience and great experience. 
And in 2001, we didn't have, we couldn't buy more sales. We were short of money everywhere. And so uh, Roman and Hans Peter introduced us to Red Bull. And then since then, that because of that hard period for Argentina, we got into Red Bull. And since then, they've been an important member of our group. I don't even call him Red Bull a sponsor because they are part of our sailing career. They, they, they've been, without them, it could have been impossible to do all the stories of Olympic Games. And, uh, and so they came on board and, and since then we had with them. And then, then for Athens, we had the money from Red Bull instead of Argentina. How does that how does that work? What what was that relationship like? Because it's amazing to think. I mean, I know you don't want to call them a sponsor, but there is there is a we're going to provide you with money. We want something. I can't believe how long that's been running for. I mean, it's such an incredible company. When we started, and still now, in my case, I don't have a contract. They would. There was a the, Mr. Matesi, the owner, have a special view of everything. Everything, what he thinks is out of the box and, and works. And, and uh, so I never had, I only one year in 2010, they come with a contract and I sign it. And then they send it again in 2011 and I didn't sign it. And so I, I think I, from the 20 years I've been with them, or 19 of them, I only had a contract for one year. <laughs> and that's it, it's an agreement. And many times, like in 2004, Six months before the game, they said, are you okay with money? Do you have everything? No, we need more money. Okay, here we go. And they send us more money. But obviously in the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens, um, the campaign feels good. You're doing well. You've got some good su support and you get a bronze medal. What did that bronze medal feel like your fourth Olympic Games? Was it a case of... I've got my medal, or did you immediately know I want more than this? For sure, it was your feeling. For sure, it was exactly that. <sighs> I got it because <laughs> it was. I put myself with a lot of pressure. We've been world champion that year in the tornado in May, in May. So a few months we were ranked number one in the world. I always thought we should have won gold, and and and. Okay, it was a relief to have a medal, but I always have this shame why we didn't win it. And was only the only few regattas I analyze in my life that I don't know what we did wrong to not win. Mm. You know, we had a couple of races that we were leading, and suddenly the, the wind died, and now the race is cancelled. Uh, we had a couple of incidents that that because and then we lost it. And uh, I must say. At the price giving, or for a long time, I was so happy to have a medal. Uh, but in the end of my heart, till now, I have a, I don't know the name in English, something itching that, yeah. that is, you know, it's a shame. Yeah, because it, it was close. I mean, uh, on, the, on the, the numbers, going into the final race, you still could have got silver. It's all still there. So I, I can... I can I can I can only imagine that that simultaneous emotion of being really happy and oh you know I wanted more. You are spot on. You are spot on. I was incredibly happy to you know uh, and it's true you know I my first attempt to go to an Olympic Games was in 1980 which I lost to to Martin Bilok. Then I tried for 1984 in the first, all boats in 470. I lost the trials in Argentina. So from 1980 to uh, 2004 was 24 years dreaming about it. And, and so obviously to get a medal <laughs> is a lot, no? Uh, but I, I must say that in the, in the podium in Rio, I remember a lot Carlos because we never managed with him to win a gold medal. Uh, and as a team, I think we did really great things and, and we deserve it. I felt it that we deserve it. And I said, when I was in the podium, my, I thought a lot about him and our team that we, we should have been there as well. <laughs> this is where I think that your sailing career gets really quite incredible because with your next move into the uh, America's Cup campaigning or you know competing in the Louis Vuitton Cup, the Challenger Series, 
um, you've sort of done the big three now. So this is 2007. This is with Sweden. This is a Swedish entry, a victory challenge. For me, to be in the America's Cup was unbelievable. Was un- mm. was something I could never dream of. It was too big to me. And so to have this opportunity and, and victory challenge was the right team for me to join because it was just no, a, a small team. Uh, they only had the experience of Auckland before, but the personality of the Scandinavian is really nice. <laughs> they are very, very nice people. All of them, the whole team have a, such a great atmosphere that there was not big egos or people. We were all there to learn and to do it well. And at the beginning, we didn't have a lot of money. And then Red Bull came in, into the project. And, and, uh, it, and I, suddenly I was part of the making decision program, program. I was there in the five people that were deciding things together with Mark, uh, Magnus Olsen and um, uh, Magnus and Stefan Ram and the whole, it, it was an incredible. And, I got the possibility to go up the rig. It was hard at the beginning, but then I liked it. It, it, it is one of the jobs I remember so nice of being sailing, to be up there with the radio call. You know, it's a lot of pressure to, telling the tactician, I think yeah. we should go over the left. And, and it, it is, was a really nice experience. It was really, really good. In all sense, I, because we were a small team, so you get to be involved in all the decisions. I was really involved in the design of the sails. I was really involved in the meteorology. I was really involved in the, desi- in the design of the boat because I was working with Herman Frers and Manny Frers. So I was knowing, aware of all the design decisions. And so it gave me the opportunity to be in all the parts of the, of the America's Cup. And uh, it was a really nice experience. The next thing, though, is obviously uh, Beijing Olympics 2008. So this in the timeline is what, 2007... We were climbing up and down America's Cup Mass, and now we're back in the tornado again. We work. We went to to Japan, and we trained before the Olympic Games, forty-five days in a row, non-stop. Just with the, we only rest. I think half a day, the day before the games. We went that, on. That so we so many athletes will try and fit in some rest, you know, to not get ill and all the rest of it. We didn't, we didn't. We, <laughs> we worked so, so hard. We worked so hard. And, and we decided the mass of the games the day of the measurement. We were late. We were just late. And, and that, that Olympic Games, again, I think, uh, uh, I think we won like five races in that Olympic Games. And, and we decided, okay, we will, if there is wind, we will not have a chance. And so... Because because this is what I was wondering about, because, of course, this was Qingdao, which was the sailing venue, and everybody, even before the Games, people were worried that it was going to be too light. And, you know, I'm looking at you now, you're not too big. You were mentioning before that you were too light for the laser, so I'm guessing you've got a fairly you know slender frame. But then it doesn't stay light for the whole week, does it? You actually get some pretty big wind. And then we, we lost it. The, the, we were lucky because the only day that was wind, the race committee was struggling with the anchor and nearly sank in our course. <laughs> so they only did one race. We were really extremely good in the light and medium wind. And, and, but in the very strong, we were a disaster. And we've been a little bit lucky. And, and uh, so that day we were fighting. I remember fighting, fighting, fighting. We were... F- Force at the end of the force, the last mark. And Carlos, one on the agreement with Carlos, he said, I will not go to the gym. I, you know, he'd been pushing so hard in the gym for the windsurfing that, okay, if I continue to gym Dao, I will not do the gym. Okay, Carlos, no worry. And that race was so strong that he was, his leg was shaking in the last downwind. And, and okay, he got thrown away by a wave and we capsized like, a minute to the finish line, no, 30 seconds. And so there we lost valuable points and Fernando Chivari was good in the light and good in the breeze and, and Tom Pass, they were so good and, and we lost the possibility to go the gold medal in that cup size. Uh, but, but, but was, we, I cannot regret that because was the reality, the deal was not the deal. And, and uh, yeah, we've been lucky that only that day was strong breeze. 
uh, he's not here to defend himself, but when you say he didn't go to the gym, I'm sure he was still working very hard on the bicycle. No, or, you no, know. no, no. It, it was, for me, was 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 not a problem. It was yeah. not, but I think we capsized not because he didn't go to the gym. It's basically because we didn't train with a win. Mm. Uh, and and it was in one year, we could not prepare for all the conditions. We We only had to focus in what we thought was going to be the playing game. And that's what we did. So basically, no, no, absolutely nothing to do with Carlos. Carlos was an outstanding sailor, was an incredible <laughs> sailor and a big part of, I guess, without Carlos, when we were slow in, 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 in years that year, in 2008, uh, I, I wouldn't be as good confident as he was. And he was an important part in that moment. You know, he, he was so good supporting and changing sales and okay keep pushing that this will get right and, and i learned a lot of him in, in our olympic preparation when i got to say with him so you come away with the bronze your second bronze um and it's i'm wondering you know you describe the feeling of your first bronze medal standing on the podium as being oh you know this is my olympic medal what did the second bronze feel like Right. <laughs> Where we came from, it was outstanding. It was 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 like a gold. So you come off again, you know, you come off uh, a medal-winning Olympic campaign and then we're back to the ocean race. And so you mentioned before that you've got, um, you know, you've got ties to Spain. So here we are with Telefonica Black in 2008-09. What was your involvement in this team? You'd only done the first leg uh, back with Team SEB. What about this time for the Spanish boat? The, it, it was a B team. It was the uh, Telefonica Black. So basically Pedro Campos, I think, and, and, and Bauer Becking, they find all the money for Telefonica Blue. And, and Pedro is, is, is an incredible guy putting up, you know, getting the money and putting a project together. I, I, I wish once he wins the Volvo Ocean Race because he really deserved it. Uh, the, the, the ocean race. And, and, and so the, the second boat came late and Fernando was going to be the skipper and Fernando called me. And at the end of the day, we were not well prepared. The, the base was in, in Alicante, so the whole training of the blue boat was in the Mediterranean, which I think, uh, looking backwards, and even when I was involved with Telefonica, with, Marti, with uh, Ike Martinez, through Juan K. office, uh, for the other uh, Volvo Ocean Race you, that was based in Valicia, you realize why Alicante was not the right spot. And the proof was the small brothers, both both hats back then, you know, and, and yeah, the join between uh, uh, being, we put together a Spanish team because it was supposed to be, most of us, except of Michael uh, Passavant uh, um, from South Africa, uh, we were all Spanish, most of us, and, and Roger Nisson, the navigator, and I think we were just, the, the whole project was late and we were not experienced enough. And it was quite a, I mean, the experience must have come quite fast because leg one, I think you guys break. I mean, this is, so this is out of the med, this is down to Cape Town and you guys do your daggerboard, your rudder. I think the bowsprit rips off, well, doesn't yeah, it, carrying well, the sail. Um, you know, welcome welcome to, uh, to to ocean sailing. I mean, that, that, that must have been, um, I'm hoping that no one panicked on board but a little bit scary. No, I, I think it's, it's not that I must say experienced enough to win it or to put the whole program together. I think they were all very good sailors. Mm, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's like if you jump three months before an Olympic Games, you are not experienced. You know, you, you need to go through a process. These races, all the things in a sport general and in sailing, of course, it's a process. You have to go through the process. And I think we didn't do that process, basically. You know, uh, we finished the, uh, you know, the rush of the story is we just finished a crazy Olympic Games with no rest. In 10 days, 
I went back to Argentina, the celebrations, and 10 days we were back uh, uh, sailing a big boat. And the same for Fernando. Fernando won the gold in the Tornado, and he was keeper of a boat ocean race the next day after a whole Olympic campaign. And that's not easy to do, you know? And we were all, some of the people, most of the crew have been sailing before we finished the games. But, you know, the preparation, the process, I, I really believe in the process. And I think back then, and then they, when uh, even, I think the whole Telefonica Black won the last leg, which it was an incredible achievement. I, really, I was so happy for the whole team and, and, and really good for them. You know, they won the last leg. That was a, like a learning process that they were getting better, better and better. You know? But I'm wondering about, were you on board for leg four? Because I, I, I remember the storms that came in on leg four and Telefonica Black, you know, the boat was abandoned at that point. I'm just wondering. I was for- not on board. I, I, I quit in Singapore. Um, so I did um, from Alicante to Cape Town where we broke the rudder. And in when we we were downwind going really fast and the, the, the rudder broke and then we broke the bow speed and everything yeah. was, was a big kind of a big broken boat uh, and then we did to India and then we did to Singapore and then I quit uh, basically I, I realized that we were not working good as a group uh, and I felt that you know, I respect a lot the Volvocian race, you know, and I, I I think you need to be a tight group to do it. I, I felt that I was not having fun anymore. And why to risk my life if I'm not having fun, you know? Uh, and and, and, and that's what happened. And, uh, and it was a very, very hard precision. And many times when I look backwards, I reject because... Uh, you know, you said I did the Volvo Ocean Race. I feel like I never did it because I didn't finish it. And 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 so it's not true that I I had a taste of the Volvo Ocean Race. That's the fair quote. But I never done it. And I respect so much the race, and I respect so much the sailors. Not to tell the people that won it, that I, I reject a little bit that decision. But I felt I I always in my life I put enjoyment and be able to work with I enjoy working hard and I enjoy as you said problems but I need to be enjoyed but here somehow how the team uh, came up together I was not enjoying and I felt quite to risk my life I had four kids a lot on and so I quit Uh, and it was a tough decision and still a, a difficult thing to remember. <laughs> you, you're you're not the only person that's told me that you cannot do the ocean race unless you are unless you have that that spark 100%. If there is a tiny bit of doubt, it, it's enough not to enjoy it or you know you 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 must go. So I I can understand that. I mean that could have been the end of the story. Could I mean you? You like like you say, you you had a taste for the ocean race, but you know, all good. You've got your two Olympic medals. You know you've done so well, and then this is when uh, Cecilia comes on the scene, and this is somebody that you know. So, so I I always feel sorry for the sort of someone like Cecilia in this situation because she's a big name in herself. She's gone to the Olympic Games twice in the laser radial. You know she's done she's done well. Um, and then this is where this partnership comes together. Who convinces who? How did you guys decide, you know, maybe maybe Santiago Langer will go for the Olympic Games one more time? <laughs> that, was a, that was a really funny story. So after when they took away the, the tornado, um, I decided to quit the Olympic Games. I, I was not happy, but I, ha- I didn't have a ball to sail on. So I went to work for Artemis again, uh, not again, another Swedish team in, in, for the America's Cup in San Francisco. So uh, I went to work with them. Um, no, after the Volvo, I started working with Juan K. 
Mm. So right after the Volvo, and then I was uh, um, I worked for uh, Telefonica again as a link between the design team and the selling team. I was hired by Juan K, and I was a responsible uh, for the, that. And, and, and then I was totally off. I didn't even follow very much the, the 2000 and, and, and London Olympic Games. And I was in San Francisco. Well, when I finished in, in 2013, what I was doing in San Francisco, Cecilia started the NACA campaign. And when I went back to Argentina after San Francisco, she said, I want to talk to you because to see the, how my campaign, how I'm doing. Okay, come. And she came home and she was alone. She, and where is Esteban, his partner? And I said, no, no, we quit to stay together. So I really want to ask you if I go back to the laser so I continue in the NACA. And I said to her immediately, why we don't do it together? And <laughs> she didn't answer. <laughs> and, and it, it was the first time I, I would say the a decision that I take, my only decision that I take without even thinking. Normally I'm I really like planning and, and especially in sports, not in my personal life, but in when I am working, I really like planning. And and I said, why do we don't do it together? And then we continue talking whether she should go to the laser or not. And then again I said to her, why we don't do it together? And, and then she didn't never answer ever. And I was saying, okay, this young girl thinks that I am too old for the NACA. So she's because this is 25 years, the age difference. I don't know. <laughs> yes, you, you know better. I've than done me. the math. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then she left my home. Well, that's the end of that meeting. And then I was angry. I was saying, this. She thinks that I'm too old. So I wrote her an email saying, Ceci, I really would like to do this together. And she said, well, I, th I thought you were joking. No, no, I'm not joking. It's true. So then we started. And, and since then, uh, now I am very strong on this, on, on, on doing what I like and forget about any paradigmas that you are old or you, this is the time to work and do America's Cup or whatever, because that's my job. I said, I should do whatever I like. And if I like it, I do it. If I don't like it, I don't do it. <laughs> it was a good lesson. And, and, a, and a good start as well, because you two form a team in 2014. I think it was two months later, you, you get second at the um, World Sailing World Championships, which is the uh, Rio qualifier. So already, very quickly, you go... This is this is obviously working very well. Well, you you done your job, eh? <laughs> very good. I'm impressed. Very nice to talk to you. <laughs> um, yes, but I remember, and I have it written in my notes. I said this is the result of a talented week. You know, obviously the experience in Tornado and and I felt and I wrote it in the notes, and I still have the notebook and. Uh, the, that I said, if we want to win a medal, we should do it out of the, out of our hard work that give us the basement, that the result come from a basement. We cannot invest three years or two years in this case of our life to depend on a result of a talent week, a talented week. And, and I remember, and, and Cecilia didn't understand that point back then because I was kind of, I was saying, okay, our rank now is 15 in the world. It's not true that we are second in the world. And I said, this guy is not celebrating that we just finished silver at the Worlds. And I was kind of, we need to work harder because we are far away. Uh, again, it was, it was, it was, but it was obviously felt really good to finish silver at that time in our career. When, when did you start to get alarm bells about your health? In... All that year, 2014, I did. Um, I sailed the TP with Phoenix of Eduardo Sousa Ramos from Brazil. We finished second at the TP Worlds. We were very happy. But every time I took a plane, I was getting ill. All 2014, and I, and I think at the end of 2013, every time I pushed hard in my training or I was taking a plane, I was getting ill. And 
Then uh, we did a very good hard effort in Brazil in uh, end of 2014, beginning of 15, and we had a plan to be good in the results in 2015. And then when we traveled to Palma, I was we arrived like 10 days before Princess Sofia, and I was really tired. I couldn't even go into the boat. And we did that regatta. Uh, we finished like 25. I was I couldn't hold myself. We, I don't know why we race it, but we race it. And, and then I had another, another uh, the, world, the Soto 40 World Championship in, in the hometown of Eduardo in Ilabella. Uh, and I couldn't say no, so I went off after, after Palma, I went to Ilabella and I was, I was only going from the hotel to the race. They would, I would jump in the boat, do the race. I was tactician for Eduardo and then jump off the boat. And then I decide I cannot continue like this. I need to study my health. And then it's where I find my cancer. Because I, I, it's something that you've been doing all of your life, traveling, jumping into a boat, jumping off into a boat. Um, I imagine that any of us would ignore the warning signs for some, you know, did you, I'm trying to imagine did you even consider this might be serious? Or were you thinking, oh, if I get a good night's sleep, you know? No, it, it was exactly what you said. I was, uh, Gonzalo Araujo, which we did Telefonica Black together and was a main shell trimmer for Phoenix. Uh, he was saying, Santi, you got to do something. And I was just, I did regattas with uh, antibiotics. I was drinking paracetamol or ibuprofen. Whatever I could buy in a pharmacy, I would buy it and drink it. And I think I destroyed my intestine in that period because I, I, I arrived to a regatta. You cannot say, okay, I don't come for racing tomorrow, you know? So I got to, I would drink whatever. And, and then, but after Palma, which I felt so down, I said, I, I said to Cecilia and Mateo, our coach, it's time for me to stop this and look into my health. And it was also afterwards what you are saying. I said this, when they, people said I had cancer, I didn't believe it. I said, this is wrong. For six, it took six months for me to imagine. It was, took six months for me to believe them. I said, because in my case, uh, it was a chance that the nodule was benign. Mm. It uh, was not 100% proven that was malign. And I said, for sure it's benign. How is possible that I have this? So for six months, I was in doubt. Till actually, I had a meeting. I had confirmed a surgery in Buenos Aires. And so I went to hospital to do all the pre-analysis. And when I meet the doctor, I said, I quit. I don't get surgery. The, like two days before the surgery, everything was booked. And, and I said, no, no, I don't surgery. It's too much. Uh, and, and then I only surgery when I, four doctors took me into a room and said, Santi, you are not understanding, you are, you are crazy. And then I said, okay, okay, we, we go for it. Because the surgery was always going to be removing part of your lung. It was always going to have some effect on your on your breathing on your you know your ability to do sport i'm assuming that in your mind you were thinking but rio it's just you know come on if i have this surgery we, was that was that what you were balancing no rio was not rio was not in the table at, at all in my mind it was it was about a lifestyle you know i like to go surfing i like to go riding with my sons i like to play squash it was i use my body like if I go holidays, I ride my bike or I do sports. That's my holidays. And, and I, I always thought, okay, if they take 75% of my lung, I will not be able to do sports again. And that what was, and the problem was that maybe the, the nodule was benign and was unnecessary. That was a tricky part. Yeah. Could have been unnecessary. It, it was a bad one. So, it was necessary. Luckily, I had these heart doctors that pushed me hard. Um, uh, but it was about a lifestyle. It was about the way I see the life. And, and when I was meeting these doctors, for the doctors, they only see to save your life. But from, 
it, for me, it was not an easy decision. It's a different, and, and today I am friends with the doctors that did the surgery, and, and they said, you are only the few patients that they don't put the responsibility into us. You were taking your decision. And for us, it was hard, but was very good, because many times we feel in the responsibility that we are deciding for our patient. And I was studying, because I am now an architect, they were measuring the size of the nodule, which was, was an indication whether it was bad, a good one or a bad one. And I said, no, you, you are not measuring this right, because the cut could be here instead of here. And because I was thinking we should measure volume, I was telling them. And, and, and I was discussing all what <laughs> was crazy, but that was part of the story. So you have the surgery, like you say, it took some convincing, but now you go for the surgery, 54 years of age, nine months away, and they take out, uh, nine months away from the Rio games, and they remove 75% of your lung, your left lung, I think. Yes. Then when you, when you wake up from the surgery, and of course there's a danger with any surgery, but the surgery goes well, you wake up, um, you have, you've said that you were very worried about what the effect would be on your body. When you woke up, how did your, your body and your lungs, how did they feel? Um, I don't recall. I, it, it felt strange. And obviously the first, I, the, the only, I can tell what Cecilia came to the, Cecilia, because we were racing the European Championship. I decided to search it in, in, in Barcelona. And just at the same time, it was a NACRA 17 European Championship. So we were training for the thing. And then I had this meeting with the doctors. And I said, OK, you need to do surgery. I said, OK, with the European Championship. And Ceci and Mateo would race. Mateo was our coach. That is a very good sailor by himself. And they sailed together the Europeans. And they were coming to the hospital every day after racing. And he, she came to, to intense care when I left the surgery. And, and the only thing I was asking is how much of the lung. I was crying and asking how much, what's the amount of lung they took me away? Because I was thinking the smaller they take, the easier I would recover. And then I was, there I was lucky enough to have this um, dream to get good for the, Olympics in Rio and that was such a big motivation that I was immediately working hard in trying to recover. I forgot about everything and I was just pushing and pushing. Like seven days after the operation I went to see one of the races of the NACRA in the Europeans. I jumped into a motorboat with my brother and <laughs> we went to see and uh, to see the racing and see how it was. I, you know, could could you speak at this point? Did you have a voice? No, because there is a, a nerve that is called recurrent nerve that goes, there's no reason for it, but it goes down to the, I had the nodule and they touch it during the surgery and then I had no voice. So for three months, my voice was very weak. I, I could, I can speak like this, but I could not speak. So it took me three, three months, I guess, or something like that to recover my voice. But obviously, first of all, it was a dream to get to Rio in shape. And, it, and also my brothers and my sons, and Ceci and Mateo were so, so important in the story. You know, we are talking, I am talking to you, but in all the cases of what we have discussed before, there's always, I've been very lucky to have incredible coaches or incredible mates on my side. And in this story, for sure, my family, my sons and Ceci and Mateo were in the, the best partners I could have. No, it's not about me, for sure. Because you're campaigning to go to 2016. And th this is where I, I find it very interesting, your, um, your motivation and what must have been going through your mind. Because you're, you're campaigning, you know, you've been to all these... Olympic Games, five of them. You've got two Olympic medals. And now you're feeling like this is a good partnership. We could go to Rio. We, we can get this gold. You know, things are going in the right direction. Then we get the cancer. I'm sure anybody with cancer describes it happens quickly. Your life gets turned upside down. And 
you're trying back to go to uh, Rio, trying to get things back on track for your medal, but also your two sons are going to Rio as well. I mean, I, I can only imagine how much being there at that Games must have meant to you as a competitor and as a father. Ah, it was unbelievable. I, right after the operation, my sons were going through the trials. It was the last opportunity to get a spot for Rio in Buenos Aires. So that was when I was getting surgery in Barcelona, Iago and Klaus wanted to come to Barcelona. And I recommend them to stay in Rio, in Buenos Aires, training for the World Championship to get the spot. And today, some Iago may say, well, I regret a little bit because I would like... They didn't realize very well what... They blame me that I did, was not telling them that I had cancer, which was true. I tell them I had a nodule. And so they regret a little bit that. And uh, yeah, and, and so I was lucky enough to be uh, in Buenos Aires while they were championship of them and I saw them getting the spot and uh, was, and then going to the games. I, it, it, is, it is incredible because you as an athlete, you dream to win regattas or, or be in tournaments, but you never dream to be part of the same team with your sons and at the Olympic games, you know? And I remember, because by coincidence, a, a, a British journalist, one year before the Games, invited me to Maracana to have an interview about the Olympics. And only then I realized, wow, I will enter this stadium with my sons if they qualify, you know? I said, wow, this is big. And normally I don't ask things to my sons. And, and, and 15 days before the opening ceremony, I said, okay, this time I want to ask you something. We will enter the stadium together. You know, I didn't want them to be with the basketball players. And so we did. And, and I think with time, also, or as you said, in, in, in my heart or in my uh, feelings, I think it's at the same level of winning the gold. Because the gold have the achievement, obviously, the, the athlete achievement, the sport achievement. But the feeling of entering the stadium with Cecilia and Jaguar Klaus was unbelievable. Uh, I, 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 I mean, yeah, it's amazing to hear you say that because I, you know, the um, the parade into the stadium and everything, you know, it's incredible scenes, I'm sure, and very few people get to see it from the point of view of an athlete, and to share that really must be special. You'd st you'd stood a lot, I mean, at World Championships, you'd stood on the top of the podium, but at an Olympics. You've stood on the podium before, twice, for bronze. Now you get to be the last person to come up onto the podium and you get to stand at the very top. And not only that, but it's your flag and it's your national anthem that's being played. Yeah. Uh, before that, actually, the, the more... I, I must say that the celebration we had in the water, my, my son's... Um, were just finishing the 49 race and they asked Nathan to unrig the boat because they knew we were sailing the medal race. So they arrived and just at the finish of the race, they just see the last downwind, I guess, or something like that. And then they, they went swimming to come to congratulate us. <laughs> it was illegal. No one can touch your boat since you finish. And they just, okay, they swam like, a, I don't know how many meters they jumped from totally dressed in sailing gear with the harness and everything and they jump and and that was also an incredible moment it, it, i think was that moment in the water was uh, uh, that's a different it was a totally emotion family moment and then the podium obviously i had this reject that i never seen the argentinian flag or the national anthem played in an olympic games and that's always struck you. You know, you want to see your flag and your national, and hear your national anthem. And, and obviously, that was the special moment in the prize giving. Uh, but the, the emotion and celebration in the water was also incredible. It was, it was really, both of them have different feelings, but it was incredible. Is that, is that gold with everything that it must have taken to? win all the years of hard work all the the difficulties with your health and everything is that gold enough or do you are you still planning for more no obviously we are planning for more 
<laughs> but but you were in the, when you are lucky like me that you get in sport for so long, you start you start to learn more that at the beginning you are there probably for winning. But but it, along my career I realized that I am here for sailing. And 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 that's it. I, I just enjoy sailing and I enjoy the challenges the sport gave me that nothing else in my life gave me give me that feelings of challenges and that you get you sad, that you get you happy, that all the emotions of the challenges of an Olympic campaign or a sport event. Uh, I am I continue racing because of those challenges and those emotions. Honestly, obviously I love to win, obviously, and, and I work like hell to win. <laughs> I cannot tell anything differently, but but I get more angry if we don't train well than if we lose our regatta. If we don't do things that we should do well, or that, that there I get, I, I get a very angry doing the small regattas or in the trainings and grumpy uh, with Cecilia or myself or the team. Uh, but but I am there for that. I am there for the feelings, and, and, and I have it very clearly. I, I really continue because I just love our sport. It's a, such a magnificent sport. You've obviously had an amazing um, sailing career, and I can only thank you for the sailors that I know who are inspired by your story to be as passionate about sailing as you clearly are. Thank you very much for, for talking to me tonight. It's, um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you. Thank you for all your studies. You, you <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will uh, send you the book, which is ready, but the COVID stopped it. Oh, please. Uh, it certainly, uh, please. It will be a pleasure for me to send you the book. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. A pleasure.